Good morning. Um, we had our, our first um, Association for Reformed Theology uh, um, study on this past Tuesday. It really went well. Had, had a good number of y'all there. It's not too late to jump in and be a part of that. Uh, if if uh, you want to do it, just go online. Go, there's a place you can go under our, uh, there's a, a place you can push on our website there and you can go ahead and sign up if you want to. Um, one of the books, we can get it for you. You don't have to have a book. You don't have to have read the material before you come. Um, but it's helpful, especially if you have questions. So, uh, well, we had somebody, we took time talking for a short period of time. Then we had some discussion together. And if you kind of want to see what it looks like, uh, we do have a video of it on our website. You can go ahead and do that. And the next one will be the fourth Tuesday in September, which I think is September uh, 22nd. Also, uh, we do um, provide two devotional booklets. One is called Our Daily Bread. It's more of a broad evangelical one. And it covers a quarter. This one that's just we just put out today is September, October, and November. And then we have a monthly one called Table Talk, and that's more of a reformed one, a little more in depth. Um, but um, if we have both, we have both of those. And for the September, the next ones we have uh, now on the table out front there on, on either hall over here. Good morning, everybody. Uh, you're at the right place at the right time to hear the gospel proclaimed. I'm so glad to be together with you that in the midst of all the darkness of our world, Christ still reigns and his church can still gather, even if it's behind a piece of cloth. And I'm longing for that day when our voices will be lifted up without masks and we can sing together. Um, like Jim said, the Association of Reformed Theology, or excuse me, the Association for Reformed Theology uh, met on Tuesday. And it, it was a lot of fun. I uh, hope that uh, you will join in on that as we get going. Um, I want to now call you to worship as, as Christ Church, as, as a, uh, a, a nation of priests. Um, and, and I want to call you uh, to worship uh, by saying together the Apostles' Creed. And, and in doing so, I want to invite you to stand. And I'm going to uh, begin by asking you this question. Christian, what do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Please be seated as we enjoy together the ministry of music. Come away, come away, come away. 
The Apostle Paul writes, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself 
as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, in love you foreknew us, and you called us to yourself through Jesus Christ, your Holy Son. You did not spare your own Son, but gave him for our salvation. How much more will you give us all things now and for all ages to come? We thank you that you have made us capable of knowing you in Christ Jesus. You have authored our existence, and you have finished our redemption. We are humbled and amazed that you would call us your children, that we may live and enjoy the life of the triune God for all eternity. Father, make us strong in grace that we would labor to be conformed to the purpose of our Lord's will. As we are chosen in him, transform us. Renew our thinking that we might prove that which is good and acceptable and perfect in your sight. Let our love be without hypocrisy and our senses abhor evil. Convict us to love one another as serving our Lord. Train us to resist despair and to rejoice in hope, to leave off complaining and to persevere in tribulation, to worry less and to pray more. Guard us from responding to evil with evil. Rather, help us to overcome evil with good. Father, we ask that you would receive now our tithes and our offerings. Be honored in our cheerful giving and bless the means to this great end, that is, your gospel going into the world. We ask always in faith, knowing him who calls us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. Not be all else to me, save that thou
got good news. It's going to be a short sermon. That's good for you. Um, let, me, let me tell you a little bit about uh, our church. Um, some of you know all this stuff very well. Others don't. This will be helpful for, for several of you who are here today. Um, we are a gospel-driven, mission-centered family of believers. All those phrases mean something to us. Uh, we kind of begin to end and live in the gospel. We think it's really important to say the gospel over and over again so that we remind ourselves and our children what we believe to be the truth. We believe in mission. We believe the gospel sends us out to missions in the world. We, we're a church that believes that that's, that's what we're called to do. And we believe in family. We believe that we are a great big family. And uh, in our history, over the last several years, we have been a kind of church that has had two different worship styles. So at 8.30, we have had a tr very traditional worship liturgy and a very traditional worship style with organ and hymns. And then at the 11 o'clock service, we have had a contemporary offering. And we would have uh, contemporary style music. When COVID came, one of the things that happened is we recognized that we had a, a greater attendance at the contemporary offering at that point in time. And in order to balance out crowd sizes, what we did is we just created two blended services. So if you were, have come here before and, and maybe music was stressed one way or the other, it's because now what we're doing is we have some contemporary songs mixed with some blended songs, and we just have a style that is just faithful. That's doing the best we can just to be faithful. It's all going to be about our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, going forward, I, listen, nobody likes masks, and we, well, if I had to guess, and I don't know this, so I won't hold Session's hand to it, I would guess that at some point in, in the future, hopefully not too long, Session will approve for us to take our seats, and once we're seated, to then remove our masks in at least one service a week. Uh, if we do that, we can't really have two worship offerings, because what we'll end up doing is saying, well, if you go to the contemporary service, you don't have to wear a mask, but if you go to the traditional, you will. And inevitably, whichever service we pick, the other people will complain, right? So for the foreseeable future, I just foresee us having a blended worship styling 
And, and then hopefully one day we get to the po point where when we sit down, we can take our masks off. Now, what are we waiting on? Uh, why didn't we do that this week when we had our session meeting? We're waiting on to see what happens in the schools a little bit longer, to see kind of a little bit what, what's happened when everyone kind of gets put in the bathtub of, of germs together and what comes home. And uh, uh, listen, we, we respect your liberties. We respect uh, all, the, all, all, all your freedoms. But this is to, to kind of take care of each other and keep each other safe. Um, we're in a really interesting season as a church. Uh, I, it's funny, I talked to some other churches. Most churches uh, that I'm aware of are worshiping at 40% of previous attendance patterns. So only 40% of the people who were previously attending are coming. Um, and giving around churches is all really, really low. A lot of people are having to cut staff. Um, we, we had really strong giving all the way through our fiscal year, which ended in July. And over the last five or six weeks, our giving's been a little bit problematic. Our attendance tends to be greater than that, uh, that 40%, so we're really thankful for that. And we, we think that the attendance will continue to grow. Um, we are in, a, in an interesting time as far as a sermon series as well. Uh, we normally talk, you know, very much a biblically-based church, want to be in the scriptures a lot. Uh, and we're normally not all hung up on theology as the one thing we teach when we're in the pulpit here. But we are in a sermon series where we are really focusing on theology. And so last week when we, when we were together, we talked about the theological doctrine of sola scriptura. And this week we're going to talk about another doctrine of the church that is often misunderstood. It's the doctrine of limited atonement. It might be one of the most divisive doctrines in the entire church. There's others, but, but really among Protestants, this really divides a lot of people. And I'm sure there are a lot of people who don't even know what limited atonement is. And, uh, and there's probably another group of people who are questioning if it even matters, why are we preaching a whole sermon on it? Well, let's just say that the doctrine of limited atonement deals with our assurance of personal salvation. And it also deals with your call and my call into the world to go be evangelists. Um, if you misunderstand the doctrine of limited atonement, it can rob you of your personal assurance of salvation, or it can take from you your desire to do evangelism. So yes, it's important what you understand that this term means and why it's so divisive to the church. So let's study together the doctrine of limited atonement. Before we get fancy, let's start with the basics. Do you understand atonement? What is atonement? Uh, imagine there's a king who rules a kingdom. And one of his subjects decides to do something really bad, something horrific. Let's just say that one of the king's subjects decides to steal money from a young girl on the street. And the king's men witness the theft. They witness this man stealing, and they bring this man before the king. And the king asks the thief, um, how are you going to atone for your crime? In other words, how are you going to make this right? Uh, you've hurt this little girl, you've hurt the kingdom, you've dishonored me as the king. Uh, the king is responsible for justice, and the only way that he can bring about justice is by atonement. The man either needs to, in order to have justice, give up something valuable, or he needs to be punished accordingly. And, and this is the sin dilemma. That's what we deal with. Which everyone in all creation, we all find ourselves in that sin dilemma. We're lawbreakers. And we stand before the great throne of heaven, and we will be judged guilty. Unless we can figure out how to atone for our sins, and we can make our sins right. And to make matters much worse, 
we discover that our sins are so grievous that we don't have within us the means to atone for our own sin. No amount of obedience or paying people back or prayer or going to church will atone for our sins. And the punishment for our sins is death. And this is actually the scene that we come into when you read the book of Revelation. The Apostle John is, is, is taken up into heaven. And he's given a peek into the throne room of God. The eternal king is there sitting on his throne. A soon judgment of all people is going to happen. And soon all men, are, they're going to have to atone for their sins. And John is watching with like this great anticipation in the throne room what's happening. And it becomes clear to John that no one is worthy. We all sin. We all fall short of the glory of God. And John begins to weep. Because the scene just feels hopeless for him. And one of the elders who is there in heaven says to John, Weep no more. Behold the lion of the tribe of Judah. And John looks and he sees the Lamb of God standing, and this is standing as though it had been slain. Imagine a Lamb of God in heaven standing as though it had been slain. I'm, I'm guessing that means um, maybe the throat had been cut, maybe blood down that is staining the whiteness of its fur. And of course, who is this Lamb of God? Nothing or no one other than, than Jesus Christ. You remember when John the Baptist is, is baptizing people in the first chapter of the Gospel of John, and he sees Jesus coming, and he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That's atonement. That's what we're talking about. What atones for the sins of God's people? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And so back again to Revelation. And they see the Lamb of God at the end of days. And all the heavenly hosts, they start singing this song. They, they were singing this song that was simply about God's glory. And after the, the, the Lamb shows up, they begin singing a song about Jesus and his atonement. And it's called the New Song. And it goes like this, Revelation 5, 9. And they sing a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain. And by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. Well, what this says about the diversity of heaven here, what, what it says about you know, no one race being greater than the other, is that God being the creator of all people, is that at the end of time God will ransom for himself people from every tribe and language and nation. This is, this is an atonement song that heaven has seen. We will all one day stand condemned before the king. And when you are asked, when you stand before the, the king and you're asked, uh, uh, how are you going to atone for your sins? The only answer that's worth anything at all is, my sins have been paid for by the blood of the lamb. My sins have been atoned for. Uh, so that's kind of where we needed to get to have a baseline to talk about limited atonement. You needed to understand atonement to begin with. It's the blood of the lamb that brings atonement. We move on. We got that? So the question is this, if the doctrine is called limited atonement, what does it mean to limit Jesus' atonement? And who is suggesting that we would limit Jesus' atonement? The argument really goes like this. There, there are two main Christian views on atonement. And, uh, and both of them actually limit something of the atonement of Jesus. Uh, let me explain what I mean by that. The first way 
Christians limit atonement is they limit its scope. Or another way maybe to say that is, is to limit who get to be the beneficiaries of Jesus' blood that's shed. And, and this has classically been called the reformed doctrine of limited atonement. I'll play my cards and just tell you, this is what I believe, this is what I think Scripture teaches, but not all Christians are going to agree with this. This is one of the five points of Calvinism. It's the L in TULIP. And if you have a friend that says, hey, I'm only a four-point Calvinist, chances are this is the one point they didn't get on board with or, or, or don't believe in. Um, the point they probably disagree with is with this doctrine of limited atonement. When we talk about limited atonement, quite simply what we are saying is that when Jesus shed his blood, it was not shed for everyone every, ever created. It wasn't shed for everyone in the whole world. It's not, it's not for everybody. Rather, he, he shed his blood only to pay the ransom for his people, for God's people. So if you say you have limited atonement, you've said that not everyone in the entire world has had their ransom paid. And you've, you've limited the ransom to just those people who will one day trust in Jesus. That's God's people. That's, that's option one. That's, that's what I believe. And some of you are thinking, no, wait, 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 Tyson, we, we've read the Bible, and it can't be true because of John 3.16, right? Because what John 3.16 says is, is that for God so loved the world, and the word there in the Greek is cosmos, it's, it's the cosmos, he, he so loved the world that he gave his only son, that's not limited, he died for the world. And what I might say to you is, well, how does the rest of the verse go? That whoever believes in him shall not perish. A good argument can be made that the atonement was made for those who believe in him. That's, that's option one. You limit the scope of the atonement to those who belong to Jesus. And then you have, you have these other verses that exist in Scripture, like Mark 10, 45, which says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Notice many is not all. Many denotes a majority of a group of people or, 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 or maybe a, a lot of people. And, and to be biblically honest with you here, there are places in the Bible where it says all. And there are other places in the Bible where it says many. And we're forced to do the work to kind of find out what it means. And you know, they say, how, how do you work with Scripture when it's confusing? They say one of the top rules is Scripture interprets Scripture. So we just keep reading until it becomes apparent. Let me talk to you about the second option for the way people understand atonement and how maybe the other people would limit it. Uh, in general, it's, it's known as the Armenian view. Uh, a lot of times this might be a view that would be held in a, a non-reformed Baptist church or a lot of non-denominational churches which believe that the atonement, when Jesus shed his blood, it was for everyone in the whole world. It's for everyone in the world. Like Jesus shed his blood for everyone in the world, but somehow... Uh, that ransom is effective only for some people. Like, like it's a, the, what's, what's limited, what's important here, is its effectiveness. Uh, did it work for all people? Um, what this suggests is that somehow the ransom is only effective for some people, and for others, Christ's blood just didn't work. And this is, I would say this is offensive for some people because they say, listen, if God is all-powerful, and if Jesus is the Son of God, 
and he's part of the Trinitarian Godhead, and he sets to atone for someone by laying down his life, how could he not accomplish what he intended to do in atonement? What in all of creation could limit the effectiveness of the blood of the Lamb? Those seem to be two differences that Christians have. Is, is on the one hand, some Christians are going to say, uh, we're going to limit the scope. And the other are going to say, we're going to limit the power or the effect of the atonement. Uh, the only other option is, uh, is to basically become a universalist. Do we know what universalists are? Universalists are, are people who believe that everyone is saved because of the work of Jesus and it kind of skips over the need for faith. And, and basically what they would say is, we're not going to limit the scope. We're going to give it to everybody. And we're not going to limit the effectiveness. The effectiveness, it's, it's effective for everybody. And so essentially, from the time that Jesus spilled his blood, all of humanity would be saved in the doc, like in universalism, absent of faith. They didn't need faith. They're just all saved. As you can see, the doctrine of limited atonement is a tough one. It's, it's tough to work through. It's tough to understand. But what I want to do is turn to our scripture today, and I want us to pray for the Holy Spirit to help us understand atonement the best that we can. Uh, we're going to be reading today from John 10, verses 1 through 18. It's that great uh, parable about uh, Christ being the great shepherd. And as we do, I want to invite you to stand as we read God's holy word. And uh, before we read it together, let's pray. Father, to you be all glory in heaven and earth and in your church. We do stand as a way of uh, submitting our lives and showing respect to your word. Um, by your spirit, may we understand it. May, may we follow it. May we have obedience to it. May we line our lives up to it. We believe that you are truly revealed in your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hear now the word of the Lord, beginning in John chapter 10, verse 1. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but will flee from him, for they, they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own. My own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. 
and I laid down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I laid down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Church, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. And this is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Let's see if we can't take a look at John 10 and see what's happening here. Uh, In John 10, Jesus compares the relationship between he and his people as a relationship between a shepherd and his sheep. Jesus says in in John 10.3 that to him the gatekeeper opens. He's he's talking about the shepherd. To, To the shepherd the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice and he calls his sheep by name and he leads them out. You need to have a good uh, idea of the, the image that Jesus is using here. Imagine a, a, uh, a city, and you have been, uh, you've had your sheep as a shepherd all night long, and you want to go into the city, and outside of the city there is a great pen, and, and basically you can pay a little bit of money, and you can put your sheep in with all the other shepherds who are in town, and there could be 10, 12, 15 different herds within this pen, and a shepherd can then go in town and get himself a shower and a hot meal and then go back the next morning and he needs to kind of call his sheep from amongst all the other sheep uh, who would have gotten mixed up together. And, and we might think, man, how does that work? How, how, how do you get your sheep out when they've gone in and mixed with everybody else's sheep? And the truth is it's pretty simple. The sheep knew the voice of their shepherd. And so a shepherd would just come out and he would, he would start calling for his sheep to come and, and only his sheep would come to him, and he would take them out and separate them from the pen. I, I've been working on this some with, with my puppy, May. I've got a, uh, uh, like a 13, 14-week-old uh, lab kind of mixed puppy, a little girl named May. And uh, she does pretty good sometimes. Like if it's, just, if it's just me and her in a quiet place, and I go, May, come, she's going to come, you know. Uh, if, if, if a stranger's there and they say that to her, she doesn't come at all. Well, I was trying to do it in a, in a crowd the other day, and she didn't come to me at all either. But, but we're working towards that. We're going to get her as smart as sheep eventually. Um, but Jesus says that as a great shepherd, that he calls his people from among the nations. And if you think about all the nations being everyone in the sheep pen, like all, all the people in the sheep pen is the nations, and Jesus calls and just a, a selection of people who are his sheep come, and they filter through the nations, and they come and they follow him. And what Jesus is talking about there is this great image of his calling, right? Any of us uh, who believes in Jesus was part of, of the great sheep pen of the world, right? And we heard the call of our shepherd. We were there amongst everybody else. And Jesus calls us out from the world. He, he, he speaks a word into our hearts, and we're called towards Jesus. I think we all understand that as the idea of just kind of the effectual calling of Jesus. And then Jesus switches from talking about calling, and he starts talking about atonement. He's going to start talking about how he's going to atone for those who he has called out of the sheep pen. Okay? Uh, he says in John ten eleven, he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays his life down for the sheep. First, Jesus calls the sheep out. Now he atones for the sheep. How? 
by laying down his life. And Jesus uses the image of a wolf. There's a, there's a wolf that's come to attack the sheep that he's led out of the pen. And instead of fleeing like some hired hand, Jesus protects his sheep. And Jesus says in verse 14 and 15, he says, I'm, I'm the good shepherd. I, I know my own and my own know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay my life down for the sheep. There is a sense that Jesus says, I know who my sheep are. I have called them and they followed me. And who does Jesus lay his life down for? The sheep that are his own. The sheep that are of his flock. This is one of the places where Scripture tells us a little bit of the scope of atonement. Jesus lays his life down for his people. He did not call everyone out of the pen. He did not lay his life down for every sheep in the world, just those in his flock. Now, why is this a, a controversial idea to hold? Some people don't like the idea that, that Jesus' death did not atone for everyone. They think that the doctrine of limited atonement is unfair. Uh, they don't see God as, as the kind of God who would uh, choose one set of people over another set of people. That offends them. But... What if it's biblical? What if it's biblical? As offensive as that idea is. Do you remember the Exodus, the story of the Israelites and their captivity in Egypt? God chose the Hebrew people. He chose to honor his covenant with Abraham and Isaac. He would literally bring plagues down upon the Egyptians while at the same time he would spare the Israelites. Until finally, the last plague came. Do you remember the last plague? The last plague was the death of the firstborn, both of humans and of animals. And God came to Moses, and he's preparing Moses for this last plague. And he tells the Mo Moses, tell the congregation of Israel to take an unblemished lamb. Now, does that sound familiar? When we talk about atonement, does the idea of the unblemished lamb sound familiar? Was that not the image we saw in Revelation of the lamb that had been slain that, that, that was going to be the hope of the world in atonement? Was it not what John the Baptist said when he saw Jesus coming? Behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so what here in Exodus is the image that's going to save? He says, we're talking about take a lamb. We're going to, we're going to be saved by its blood. God told Moses to tell the Israelites to, to sacrifice that lamb and to mark their doors with the blood of the lamb. And this is what God says. He says, For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike at the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. But when I see the blood, I will pass over you. Guess what? God did not provide Egypt or Egyptians with atonement that night. He created every Egyptian, didn't he? But the blood of the Lamb was given only to God's people. It was limited in its scope. And guess what? In no way did the blood of the Lamb have a limited effect. In other words, no one put the blood of the Lamb on their door and it just didn't work. Everyone who put the blood of the Lamb upon their door 
was guaranteed atonement. Here is what we believe. Uh, God's atonement never fails, okay? Do you get that? God, God doesn't try to save people. What was the old joke about uh, Chuck Norris going hunting? Like, Chuck Norris doesn't go hunting because hunting implies the possibility of not killing something. He just goes killing, right? God, when, when, he, when he atones for someone by the blood of Christ, he doesn't, he doesn't go out, set out to atone for people. He just atones for them. Like, he doesn't fail in his atonement. He always saves people. His atonement is definitive. If the blood of Christ has been shed for you, you have been atoned for. You will be called out by the shepherd. That call will work in your heart. You will confess the name of Jesus as Lord, and you will be born again. To suggest anything else is to suggest that Christ's blood, it's not fully sufficient. It just, it just didn't do his work on me. That sometimes the atonement just doesn't accomplish what it sets out to do. And if you're going to be offended by anything, why not be offended at the suggestion that Christ's atonement sometimes fails? That some of the precious blood that Christ spilt didn't accomplish its purpose. Because if something's offensive, to me, that's as offensive as suggesting that God would have some people and not others. Now, some people are going to misunderstand the doctrine of limited atonement. And what they will say, what, the, what they're going to get to, what they're going to say, something like this. Um, why even do evangelism, why even do mission work at all if God's atonement is only for the elect? And they, and they shut down and, and they, they'll just stop sharing the gospel. They go, like, listen, what good is it going to do? Like, like if God's already shed his blood to atone for people, what, what does our work accomplish anyway? And I can give you a quick, easy reason why this is wrong. It's found in, in Christ's commandments, in our obedience to Christ's commandments, namely the Great Commission. Uh, Christ commissioned his followers to share the gospel and to make disciples of all nations. Every nation, every tribe, every ethnicity, it's really a beautiful picture of diversity in the kingdom of heaven. But Christ commanded his disciples to go and make other disciples. And in God's sovereign will, he decides to use our evangelism as one of the ways God has chosen to call people to himself. He sends you and me to proclaim the goodness of Jesus and to somehow awaken within the hearts of people their eternal identity as children of God. Isn't that beautiful? So we go around and we proclaim the gospel, and we never know who has been given this gift of life. We just don't know. Sometimes we share the gospel and we think, man, I had it together today. I, I was doing the EE. I had all the questions. I nailed it. I was perfect. And you know what you get? You get a hardened heart. You get someone who is not going to move at all. And you feel like, I, I, I laid it down perfect. And other times we share the gospel and we stumble through it and we mess it up. And someone says, you know what? That all makes sense to me. It's like a song that they've known for all of eternity. And they can't resist it. It's the desire of their heart. In the Great Commission, Jesus tells us what to do. He tells us, go, make disciples. But in Revelation, we get to look back on what happens at the end of that Great Commission. What happens when God's people do that? Remember that, that song that they were singing in Revelation 5.9? Let's look at it one more time. It says, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people 
and nation. It's the outcome of the Great Commission. We see that in the end, Christ accomplishes his purpose and his atonement. It works. And it's not because you and I are fantastic evangelists, because probably most of us are not. It's because God's atonement is definitive. When the Lamb sheds his blood for people, uh, people from every nation and tribe and around the world, the victory was his the moment his blood was shed. There was no question. You don't have to be some fantastic evangelist. You just have to be obedient. The power to change hearts isn't our elegant words. It's the atoning blood of Christ. It's that eternal call of the Good Shepherd. It's the power of the Holy Spirit to quicken hearts. We've been studying today the doctrine of limited atonement. It's one of the most controversial doctrines in the church. I've been very honest to you about my position on it. If you've ever met someone who says they're a four-point Calvinist, this is usually the point that they will not agree with. They do not agree with. They cannot agree with. If this is you, if you find yourself in disagreement with me on this doctrine, here's what I would say to you. Peace, my friend. I'm thankful to work, serve, and worship beside you, even if we differ on this doctrine. Jesus' blood was for everyone, and it, and it saved everyone. Amen? The bottom line is this. Um, unless you... Uh, are a universalist, like, right, unless you're, you're, you're one of those people we talked about as being a, a universalist, right? We would say that you're going to limit the atonement somehow. Remember, universalists say uh, we do not limit the scope and we do not limit the effectiveness. Therefore, everyone at, at Christ's death gains salvation. If you're not that, if, if you're not saying that everyone is saved automatically without faith in Jesus, then you're in one of two camps. You can either limit the scope of who it's for. I would say that by we would limit it to, to God's people. Or you're going to limit its effectiveness. When I look at the history of God's atonement, when I look at the Passover, which we looked at today, uh, the, the angel of death coming there, and I, when I look at Jesus being the good shepherd, I see a limited scope and who atonement was for. I see that it was for God's people. Either way, I see God who calls us to evangelism and I look forward to a day when God's diverse people will sing a new song in heaven. That song that goes, worthy is the lamb. For by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and every language and every people. Let's pray. Father, I do pray that as, as we read this, we are reminded that all those who can confess the name of Jesus Christ as Lord, can do so because we are of the elect who have had blood shed for us. I also hope that we can acknowledge, Lord, that we are um, called and sent into this world to make disciples of all nations, to be used by you to call your sheep to you. Christ, use us, convict us in sharing the gospel. We pray this and as we put our trust in you, in Christ's name, amen. Let's, uh, let's enjoy the ministry of music one more time.
his feet. He breaks the bow and bends the spear and tells the wars to cease. Almighty one of Israel, you are on our side. We walk by faith in God who burns the chariots with fire. in the storm, you will lead us through the fiercest battle, over it's when we go with the Lord of all. Oh God of Jacob, fierce and great, you lift your voice to speak. Thank you. 
Now, with this sermon, it needed to be about 20 minutes, right? It, it was about all that people could handle, you know, if you're going to really lift some theology. The second thing is that next week, we're talking about the doctrine of, uh, uh, reformed doctrine of predestination. And um, there's some things that I didn't want to kind of like step all over to leave myself some things to say next week. Um, but my, my job is well done, I think, today. If, if, I, if we can say two things, do you understand that everyone in a sense, who's not a universalist, limits atonement. There's two ways we do it. We either limit the scope of who it's for, or we limit the effectiveness of the sacrifice of the blood of Jesus. It's one of those two things. Um, Oftentimes, reformers have even come to where they don't call it limited atonement. They call it definitive atonement in a lot of circles now. Um, Either way, God bless you if you believe it. God bless you if you don't, because we all serve Jesus Christ, who is our Lord. Why is it even important that we bring it up? Well, some reformers believe because of limited atonement that if they don't have to go and share the gospel, and I just say that's wrong. The Great Commission tells you to go. Go. Let Christ sort out all that other stuff. We have been the church, and listen, I haven't said this in a long time because it just hasn't felt like there's been enough people here. But I'm going to say it today. We've been the church gathered Go and be the church scattered. And as you do, take with you the love of God, the grace of Christ Jesus' Son, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Let's hear this one more time. Lord, with us in the fire, with us as a shelter, with us in the storm. You Oh, where else would we go with the Lord?